section twenty of social life in england seventeen fifty to eighteen fifty by f j folks jackson this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by pamela nagami lecture seven mid victorianism w m thackeray part two vanity fair however holds up the mirror to social england in the unrivalled description of becky's climb up the rungs of the ladder till she arrived at the very apex of fashionable success her husband's position gave her every opportunity with the men and with them it was easy enough where her genius was seen was in her dealings with her own sex apart from the skill displayed in the description of her career she is interesting to us as an example of the gradual invasion of society by those who were born outside its pale men as we have seen like creevy occasionally managed to make themselves indispensable but for a woman to do so was a most difficult task at first becky was a complete failure so far as her own sex was concerned miss crawley was never taken in for a moment she recognized her attractions and allowed her to amuse her but had no idea of regarding becky as anything more than a sort of upper servant she's just a companion as you are briggs only infinitely more amusing when she married rawdon she did for herself so far as the old lady's good graces were concerned in her early married life she was equally unsuccessful at paris where her husband was in the army of occupation her success with the men and her popularity with the great ladies of french society owing to her mastery of the language only increased the bitterness of her countrywomen against her when she came back to london men crowded her little house in curzon street but the ladies held sternly aloof social distinctions were very marked in the early twenties in london and the great ladies of the day had no idea of allowing people of doubtful birth to push themselves into their company you doubtless recollect how jane austen describes the dinner-party at lady caroline de burr's in pride and prejudice to which elizabeth and mr and mrs collins were invited and the studied rudeness with which her ladyship treated her guests in order to keep them conscious of their inferiority we find the same sort of thing in lord lytton's early novel pelham where the man of fashion treats the people he meets in the country as beings of a different species every description of fashionable life tells the same story and we have to realize this to understand vanity fair i must ask you to pardon me if i linger over this theme and try to elaborate it becky had had a good deal of experience before her chance came and she was fit to take it her brother-in-law pitt crawley was always a little smitten by her charm and determined to do the right thing by rawdon by inviting him and becky to queen's crawley becky strikes the right note at once they go by coach it looks more humble once there she captivates lady jane by affecting interest in her nursery but these are only the outworks lady jane is kind and soft pitt is pompous and easily flattered but the citadel remained unvanquished in the person of lady southdown pitt's mother-in-law here we have thackeray's counterpart of lady caroline de burr 
a countess of austere evangelical piety combined with a firm but by no means constant belief in patent medicines and more or less irregular clergy and medical practitioners who forces her doctrines and her doctorings without mercy upon her dependents and inferiors she would order gaffer hodge to be converted as she would order goody hicks to take a james powder without appeal resistance or benefit of clergy our author describes her as this awful missionary of the truth driving about her estate administering tracts and medicaments a lady so domineering so aristocratic so virtuous could not be expected to receive poor becky with her doubtful antecedents and still more questionable conduct she vows she will leave queen's crawley if ever mrs rawdon sets foot in the home but pitt crawley knows womankind she has spent her last dividends and has nowhere to go a countess living in an inn is a ruined woman this shrewd diagnosis is correct her ladyship remains and manifests her disapproval of becky by a stony silence that astute little woman however is not daunted she reads the countess's tracts she is troubled about her soul her ladyship cannot resist the temptation of snatching such a brand from the burning she hopes to convert becky who is prepared for a greater sacrifice she offers her body as well as her soul and consults lady southdown about her health the victory is won that night the fearsome form of the great lady appears in night attire at becky's bedside and forces her to drink the decoction she has prepared her victim swallows it and makes so good a story of the incident that her male friends are convulsed and thus for the first time in her life lady southdown was made amusing it is when mrs rawdon crawley forces her way into the company of the real leaders of london society that we get a true glimpse of the social life of the period and i shall ask your permission to read the well-known but i think rarely quoted account of her debut at the dinner-party at gaunt house to me i confess it seems inimitable i must however remind you of the scenes which lead up to it first there is lord steyne's request or rather order to the ladies of his household to call on becky which they do and when his lordship pays her a visit he is amused to find her gloating over the cards they have left all women he says are alike everybody is striving for what is not worth having you will go to gaunt house it's not half so nice as here my wife is as gay as lady macbeth and my daughters as cheerful as reagan and goneril and gare aux femmes look out and hold your own how the women will bully you then there is the interview of lord steyne with his wife and daughters lady steyne is told to write and ask becky to dinner lady gaunt the eldest son's wife says she will not be present lady george the second son's wife reminds him of the money she brought into the family all in vain steyne treats them to a vigorous allocution you will be pleased to receive her with the utmost cordiality as you will receive all persons whom i present to this house who is master of it and what is it this temple of virtue belongs to me 
and if i invite all newgate and all bedlam here by god they shall be welcomed the ladies of course yield but they make it hot for their presumptuous little guest it was when the ladies were alone that becky knew that the tug of war would come and then indeed the little woman found herself in such a situation as made her acknowledge the correctness of lord steyne's caution to her to beware of the society of ladies above her own sphere as they say that persons who hate irishmen most are irishmen so assuredly the greatest tyrants over women are women when poor little becky alone with the ladies went up to the fireplace whither the great ladies had repaired the great ladies marched away and took possession of a table of drawings when becky followed them to the table of drawings they dropped off one by one to the fire again she tried to speak to the children of whom she was commonly fond in public places but master george gaunt was called away by his mamma and the stranger was treated with such cruelty finally that even lady steyne pitied her and went up to speak to the friendless little woman later on she had her triumph for when the gentlemen came in they crowded round the piano and mr paul jefferson jones an american guest thought he had made a conquest of lady gaunt by going up to her ladyship and praising her delightful friend's first-rate singing once becky had been recognized at gaunt house other ladies began to acknowledge her none the less eagerly because she was known not to be too favourably regarded by the stain females the great lady fitzwillis paid her marked attention when any one was taken up by this lady her position was safe not that she was amusing or clever or beautiful being a faded person of fifty-seven but nevertheless she was a recognised leader whose social verdict was undisputed under her aegis becky was safe and it was thrown over our little adventuress because of an early rivalry between lady fitzwillis and lady steyne now the success of becky with all her disadvantages was not undeserved she had wit tact courage she could flatter where necessary but she could defy an enemy when she thought fit very great ladies feared her biting sarcasm if they provoked it and she won her place because of her weapons of defiance as well as her powers of attraction she fell from her high position because she was found out but even after her exposure and rawdon's eye-opening to her unfaithfulness to his cause she fought on in the social battle and the last glimpse of her is at a charity bazaar but the society which becky sharp conquered by her brains was soon to be stormed by wealth and thackeray describes the process in the novels of a later period the strife was only beginning in vanity fair lord steyne's younger son we are told married the daughter of the great banker lord helvelin but this was exceptional the city was just beginning to intermarry with the lesser nobility miss schwartz the rich west indian who was destined for young george osborne was married into the noble family of mcmull the younger miss osborne married after much haggling over settlements frederick bullock of hulker bullock and company whose family was allied with the impecunious nobility but she was completely out of society she would have gone on her knees to gaunt house to be asked to dinner there her father 
whose means would have procured him an entrance into any society a few years later then lived in an unfashionable part of london and his dinner-parties were dull pompous gatherings the most honoured guest being sir thomas coffin the hanging judge for whose benefit the famous tawny port was always produced it was about a decade after the reform bill of eighteen thirty two that the walls of the jericho of good society began to shake at the trumpet sound of wealth before we enter upon the subject let me remind you of two marks of the great novelist's skill one the names he gives his characters and two his careful tracing of their pedigrees the earl of dorking lives at chanticleer his eldest son is viscount rooster his daughters are the ladies adelaide and henny poulen who cannot with a very little knowledge of london conjure up gaunt house and great gaunt square the character of the marquis of steyne is shown in his numerous titles he is viscount helborough and baron pitchley and grillsbury etc etc the crawley family named their sons after the most popular man of the day so sir walpole crawley was evidently born about seventeen thirty sir pitt between seventeen fifty seven and seventeen sixty one the reverend bute about seventeen sixty one sir pitt the second after the time younger pitt rose to power that is later than seventeen eighty four and rawdon when lord rawdon was the favourite of the prince of wales End of section twenty